Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Roger Hudson. And this is your guest host, Nicholas Hanfield-Jones. We're joined here today by Bippin Dillon, a Master of Public Administration student here at Western University. How are you doing, Bippin? Good, good. Thank you guys for having me tonight. Fantastic having you here. So, Master of Public Administration, how did you get initially involved in that program? Uh, well, going back to my youth, I've always been interested in uh, social studies. So this naturally led me to select uh, political science as my bachelor's program. Okay. And then going through my bachelor's, I wanted to stay involved in government. And I initially initially went through a law school uh, application process, but okay. I couldn't beat the LSAT. <laughs> So then I uh, looked at... Uh, I've heard third time's the charm. Uh, yeah, I stopped at two. So, maybe <laughs> <that was. laughs> so then I came across uh, public administration, the field of public administration and the program. So. All righty. And so I was just wondering, so this is a, a master's of public administration. It's a one-year program. And what are the sorts of things that a student in this program might study? Well, it's a very uh, wide range of things. We cover... Uh, financial management in the government sector. We cover economic development. We cover program evaluation and uh, other uh, various aspects of the social sciences all put into one kind of program. And I guess the public administration portion, is that more related to municipalities and governments? or How does that relate to the... Uh, public administration, they call it the MUSH sector, M U. S-H. So municipalities, universities, schools, and hospitals. Okay. Yeah. So which uh, portion of the public administration field are you most interested in? Uh, well, the Western's program of public administration is one of the only programs in Canada that's focused on uh, the municipal sector. Okay. So right now, uh, this is part of the reason why I came to Western is uh, I've had my experience in uh, the federal and provincial government. So this gives me uh, newfound knowledge in the municipal sector as well. Okay. And what are the exact things that you're focusing on the municipal uh, government side of things? So um, obviously there's a lot of things going on in a city, um, but what exactly are you studying? It goes uh, beyond a wide range of things, from everything that your city provides you to your roads and services to uh, maybe uh, getting more citizen participation in uh government programs, municipal programs. And I understand that the Master Public Administration uh, program here at Western is mostly a course-based program. Exactly, yeah. And then is there any, uh, I guess, research component tacked on within the program at all? Uh, there's a major research project, or a mini-thesis, I like to call it. Oh, okay. Which comes near the end of the program. And what are you, uh, what, what topic have you decided to do for this uh, final report? I'm coming up with criteria that can help municipalities maximize leverage for better public-private partnership sporting venue deals. Hmm. And so hopefully this leads to a successful downtown revitalization effort. Okay, so there's a lot of words in there that I think we'll like, unpack. So first of all, the, the one that immediately stuck out to me is public-private partnership. What exactly is that? So public-private partnership is a deal between a government and a private sector actor into funding uh, some any type of venue for the enhancement or the betterment of society. 
So something like a downtown park or a, a beachfront, something like that? Exactly. Okay. And uh, with my case, I'm looking at uh, professional sporting venues. So hmm. in, in these kind of cases, would some sort of franchise or company come into a city and you know, decide we want to build a stadium here. Um, at that point, I suppose the city would then have to broker some sort of deal. Um, so what is it in what what benefit does a city have for a stadium to be built in their city? Well, with the new modern era of uh, these uh, venues, cities use them to revitalize their downtown or for economic development through uh, entertainment districts. So, for instance, a city might have a uh, let's let's talk NHL for a second. So, uh, a city might have an NHL team, and they're looking to uh, build a new arena or replace an existing arena. Uh, my only experience with this, by the way, is on Madden uh, NFL, probably oh four oh five <laughs> at this point. But uh, in uh, essentially, my understanding is that uh, the government or the city municipality partners with the uh, franchise to uh, fund the building of this arena so mm-hmm. the franchise or the NHL team in assistance might uh, put in 75% uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of course to build this arena but the government's going to be asked for a good portion of that cut because the franchise realizes that they're going to get a huge cut back from taxes and all these other incentives that, that come with building the arena exactly and uh, these uh, new arenas they can also be used as multi-purpose uh, venues as well so, so things as like concert hosting or even community events that can be held in the arena outside of games and stuff. Okay, and that's a way for, I guess, governments or municipalities to continue to get uh, money back on their investment there. Exactly. So I'm also wondering about the areas surrounding a city. So, um, for example, I'm from Ottawa myself, and I remember uh, there's a stadium in or an area there called Lansdowne Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, uh, they decided to renovate the stadium uh, to create, to make it a lot larger and more modern. And I remember after that, there was a lot of changes in the surrounding area. I don't know whether they were bad or good, but do you know about that case? Uh, yeah, that that's a common argument for arenas. They're used to revitalize the area and surrounding area. But the the thing with Ottawa's case is that it's too far out of the city, mm-hmm. and uh, currently they're going through a debate to build a new downtown arena, uh, right in within downtown. Okay, so that it was too far away from the city. Like, was that what additional disadvantage did that have to being in the city? Is it just like fewer people went? Fewer people went. Yeah. Okay. And then it doesn't create like this uh, downtown urban culture. Okay. I guess. So what what does that mean exactly? So a, a downtown urban culture uh, is where there is life outside uh, within the downtown after business hours. So it's a place to do it, or they call it tourist bubbles. So so people can go there and uh, and have a night of entertainment. So so I guess if there's just an arena stuck downtown, that's a good uh, few. I guess at least city blocks where you can't have bars or restaurants or other uh, attractions for tourists or people to enjoy the downtown area. You're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket by having an arena in in that particular area. Yeah, the thing is that you don't want to just separately build an arena by itself. You want to, the role of like the the government and the public-private partnership should be to develop an entertainment district that 
kind of uh, meshes with the city's core. Hmm. And I guess that would change depending on the city that you're looking at in any particular case study. Exactly, yeah. Interesting. And are there particular case studies that you are looking at in your thesis project? Yeah. Uh, me being from Calgary, I'm looking at similar sized cities. So obviously we have our provincial rival, Edmonton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we Pretty have... Pretty close together too, right? Oh, yeah. So there's always that, there's always that big brother kind of thing where you don't want to fall behind... And then my other case study is Winnipeg as well. Okay, okay, Winnipeg, uh, I guess. How close are Manitoba and... Uh, it's about uh, a geez, province over. One full province away. Yeah. Jeez, my Canadian geography is <laughs> really taking a hit here. Maybe about a six, seven-hour drive. Interesting. So similar-sized cities, so you can use them as uh, compar- uh, comparable. Yeah, and I want to make sure they have uh, an arena, which is uh, an NHL arena. So uh, I'm not really certain myself about like NHL developments because I know obviously that the Calgary Flames have some sort of arena now but is there some uh, discussion about creating a new one what's the situation there yeah this is where the motivation of my uh, report comes from the thing is when these arenas become old they're still usable but their uh, revenue generating capacity decreases because new arenas have luxury seating and uh, box seats and stuff which bring in a lot more revenue so even though the old arenas are usable the team owners want new arenas for generating new revenue basically mm, and, and would there be any difference in I guess capacity for seating could they bring in more revenue for more people Is there any yeah they generally can bring in more seating as well hmm. and just more state-of-the-art the thing is the teams have a lot of leverage in these situations hmm. what do you mean by that so uh, there's a the, ma- the four major leagues, which are the National Hockey League, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, NFL, and uh, Major League Baseball, they control their supply of teams, while North America has an overabundance of markets. So if they do not like the their current situation or the arena that they have right now, they can always threaten to relocate. So that's where part of this tension w- it comes in from the municipalities is that it's like oh. they have a gun to their head in a situation in these negotiations. So. Interesting. And what is it, the municipalities that offer the most money that end up getting the partnership with the team? Exactly. The most money are better deals. Hmm. That's why we're seeing Las Vegas getting teams here and there now. <laughs> so I'm curious about that, um, about this threat to relocate. Um, I would have, I'm not a huge sportsman, my sports fan myself, but I would expect that a lot of the draw to go see a sports game, if you're from a city, is much more than just the sport itself, right? It's like you're cheering for your own city in a way, even though the, spo- the, the sports team itself, the franchise, may not have anything to do with the city at all, other than being there. So I'm wondering if, let's say the Calgary Flames doesn't like a deal that the city of Calgary is often offering, and they say, we're going to relocate to... I don't know. Houston. Houston. <laughs> so, I mean, what happens when they create an entire new identity like that? Would a city like Houston all of a sudden, would the people there all of a sudden decide to support a sports team if there hasn't been that, um, I guess, identity to a team built up over time? Yeah, I, I think uh, it comes with the pedigree of the team as well. Also, mm-hmm. uh, the thing with like a market like Houston is, is they have a presence of sports teams already. Winnipeg was an interesting situation. 
they got hit hard by the financial troubles of the 90s. So in the early 2000s, they wanted to bring back a team. So they And their downtown was in rough shape. So they kick-started a, a downtown revitalization effort to bring in a new arena so they can attract a new team. And eventually, they had a relocation of American franchise to Winnipeg, which is such a kind of a passionate market, as we can see. Oh, so was was the Winnipeg team originally a different team? Yeah. Oh, so which one were they? The original Winnipeg Jets relocated to Phoenix, and now they're known as the Coyotes. Oh, okay. I thought they might have went to Colorado, but I guess I could be wrong. On that, that was Quebec. Ah, see, in Quebec. the 90s, there was the financial downturns and the dropping of the loony, which led to a lot of teams having to... Uh, having to relocate because they couldn't financially sustain themselves. So the the two biggest targets were Winnipeg, who moved to Phoenix, and Quebec City, whose team moved to uh, Denver, also known as the Colorado Avalanche. So I, I guess uh, maybe as a cultural identity, maybe the, the civic reputation, as bad as it sounds, kind of, kind of went down with not having a major league sports team. I guess that's a big thing that comes with... Uh, being a big major metropolitan city is having a sports team. I've never really looked at it through that lens. That's very interesting. Hmm. So I so I guess these these teams really can just leave at any time if they're not generating revenue and just create a fan base pretty instantaneously. Exactly. There's there's always someone waiting. So. Oh, interesting. Now, I think it would also de- um, depend a little bit, at least on, you know, for, for example, the Calgary Flames. They've been an established team in Calgary. They're also a part, I'd imagine, of Calgary's culture uh, f- for several decades now. So if you were to be uh, comparing a city like Calgary and how um, resentful they would be to see their team leave versus, say, a newly developed team, for example, Las Vegas, who was just have a team last year, I- I'd imagine the public outcry would be a little bit different in t- cities that are a little bit more attached to their team. Yeah, exactly. And like the fact that Calgary has won a cup and has been fairly competitive for a while has uh it, it really has a civic identity for the whole whole city, right? I mean, there's only a few Canadian hockey teams, and it's hard to imagine. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, I I would expect if a, if a team is like unhappy with the offer that a city is giving them and they decide to relocate, I mean, they're not going to care what the city's people think. I mean, the outrage won't affect them at all, right? Yeah, yeah to to counteract that or uh, something that would give uh, teams uh, municipalities more leverage is the fact if the owner is committed to keeping the team within the city. So if they have uh, other commitments or business ties mm. or community ties mm. within the city, they'll be more inclined to stay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So you've done now this research looking into Winnipeg um, and a few other examples, um, Edmonton. What are some of the things that you found out in those cases and how will you uh, bring those findings uh, to a city like Calgary? Like, what would you suggest for the city of Calgary to do in these cases? I think uh, these deals are most likely going to happen. So for uh, citizens and the civic government, they should they should try to negotiate the best deal they can possibly can. <laughs> it's all about the art of the deal, as they say. And, and, and now, for the most part, we've been talking about 
financial implications of this private-public partnership. But I'm curious, you mentioned five things at the beginning of the show, uh, or a few things anyways earlier. Um, is there any other, I guess, angle that you're trying to approach it from other than the financial avenue? Yeah, this uh, this also goes into like your government's uh, planning, your long-term planning, so their mm-hmm. macro planning. So if a, if a civic uh, leadership is prepared and they forecast into the future and they're really studied on their their works, they can be prepared to. Prepared to, I guess, uh, continue that investment into the future because uh, it is a very hefty investment and something you have to center your city around, essentially. Exactly. And if if a city already has a big cultural identity, cultural urban identity, like there's a lot of entertainment forms going on besides uh, maybe sports, they'll be less reliant on uh, just sports as in, in its own. So that's why you see uh, markets like Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto, which have lots of corporate power and lots of uh, entertainment options. Aside from just their sporting uh, venues. Yeah, and then their venues are privately paid off because hmm. the teams don't have as much uh, leverage there, right? Uh, so they have to take on more of the, I guess, bang or the buck for, for themselves because the city doesn't really have to rely on them as much. Exactly. And then you have other cities like, I guess, New York that has uh, two sports franchises in every one of the major sports that you were saying. <laughs> so I guess uh, New York is generating enough profit there. Or how does that situation work, do you think? New York is just wild. It's just huge. <laughs> <laughs> it's an anomaly. And um, uh, just they have so much corporate power. They have so much, such a high population that they can get away with uh, things like this, and they could probably even support more teams if they wanted to. Huh. To be honest, and th- just they have the infrastructure in place, and it's just a just a perfect hotbed for sports. <laughs> Interesting. So we've talked a lot about you know your research and your work in your in your master's program. But I'm just curious, like, what got you interested in this project? Obviously, you're from Calgary, but are you a Calgary Flames fan or something? I'm a huge sports fan, yeah. Oh, yeah? So uh, this is, like, the perfect opportunity to kind of uh, take an academic side to sports. I never really realized how much, I guess, the city's involved in planning out uh, how the city gets built. It's almost, I, I thought it was just like, oh, you want to give us money, uh, organization or corporation? Come, lay, lay ruin to our city, please. Yeah, uh, but I guess they they really do set a limit, and they really do. Th- that's kind of the uh, the job of public administrators, right? We gotta we gotta publicly forecast and take these things into consideration. People people don't understand. I guess the role of you have your politicians who create uh, say these policies out loud, but <laughs> we're the people that actually got to put these things into work and make them feasible for everyone, right? So for everyone to live in day to day. Yeah. So even things like your your transit uh, plans or your road maintenance or something you would overthink. It's like it's a big program that they evaluate and they look at each step. And and I guess governments are willing to take a loss because uh, at least the way I understand it, like most uh, transit, uh, municipality transit uh, things are at least run at a loss because they know there's other economic value to it in some way. Uh, sometimes they just have to provide those goods, I guess. So. Oh, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. They're forced to do it. That's the thing. A, a difference between the private and public sector is, like, sometimes there is uh, social issues or ethical issues that you can't put a cost on or you have to do, right? So. Hmm. Very cool. Um, and what are your 
plans or projects for the future once you're done this master's? Because, in fact, um, in case our audience doesn't know, um, uh, Bippin is actually completing his master's within the next week. So he has his um, uh, dissertation due within the week. And so what, what comes after for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy week, so I, I just want to get through that first. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the kind of the, do- the job search will start on. But as I've gone through this program, I've really uh, discovered a passion for urban planning. So I, I definitely need to work, get in the field for a couple of years. Then I, I might do my master's in urban planning. And eventually I've done my bachelor's in political science, so I wouldn't mind venturing back into politics later on in my life. Very cool. Finding your uh, passions through your initial interest in political science and sports to begin with. So that's that's a fantastic journey and a fantastic story. Yeah, I think everything's just naturally progressed into uh, into my life so far. So hopefully it continues. Good luck to you in the future, Bivin. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you, guys. This has been Gradcast. Thank you so much, Bivin, for being on our episode today. My name has been Nick. And I'm Roger. And you can catch GradCast every Thursday at 6 p.m. on CHRW 94.9. And if you want to listen to older episodes, you can listen to them fully on gradcast.ca. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Again, this has been GradCast, a production of the Society of Graduate Students. Have a great evening, everybody. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.